0: Welcome to Corwin's Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast with host Peter DeWitt. This podcast is from education leaders for education leaders. Every week, Peter and our guests get together to share ideas, put research into practice, and ensure every student is learning, not by chance, but by design. Hi, Ariel. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. Another glorious Monday.
1: Another glorious (laughs) Monday. I I love that we kick these off on Mondays. Me too. That's really good. It's such a great way for me to get inspired during the week. And obviously yes. so Julie Julie Stern is uh, is our guest, obviously today, and she's talking about learning the transfers. But we got into so many different topics. Now, what people hear is Julie is somebody that I admire very much, and when I read um, her conceptual understanding book, I remember just sitting there taking notes, and I've got it over in my library, and I. Just wrote notes, and I, she is so amazing to talk to because I swear even my questions don't have to be coherent, and she can make them sound coherent and give such great answers.
0: <laughs> she is something pretty special as as an editor. She is one of my like favorite, you know, success stories because I remember she um, she proposed a book about social studies um, to me many many years ago. And I loved it so much. And at the time, we weren't publishing anything in social studies, but we can, you know, I convinced her to kind of take it in a different direction. And we ended up having the tools for teaching conceptual understanding books. There's one for elementary and secondary. And then that led to finally a social studies book, the Visible Learning for Social Studies, which she co-authored with John Hattie and Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry. And now she's got this new Learning That Transfers book um, coming out, or actually it just came out. And that's, you know, all of her books are, have become bestsellers and they're fantastic. So um, it makes me really, really happy to see, uh, to hear her talk about, you know, all that she's got going on now. It's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah. There's some key things that I want people to listen for. Um, You know, I asked specifically at the beginning, what is learning the transfers? What does that mean? And then she, she, she is able to give such a, um, Descriptive and yet simple to understand idea behind it. And I, you know, I joke, but honestly, I feel like I could throw any topic to her. And she just starts running. And uh, she talks a little bit about her children, who I'm a little intimidated by, um, (laughs) with how smart they sound, but also just the fact that she's so easily accessible with where she has this work you know she's got a great um besides the book she's got the thinkific platform where she offers these courses up so people no matter where they are in the world can take these courses and learn from them as well so yeah um what about you what what did you appreciate that she said that people can hear for and listen for when they when they
0: yeah. Well, I just love that this episode is probably the closest to the classroom that we've done mm-hmm. so far in the series. Or, And I shouldn't say classroom. I should say it's the closest to the process of teaching and learning, I think, mm-hmm. um, that we've discussed so far in in this season. Um, and, you know, she does talk quite a bit about um kind of adapting lessons for online teaching. If you're virtual or going back in person, whatever the case may be. But I just I love that um, she goes so deep and she's she clearly is such an expert in just how we learn Mm -hmm. as teachers and as students. And she can speak to that at that level um, just with so much depth and and um, cohesion. I love it.
1: Well, uh, this is uh, this is on Learning the Transfers. Julie Stern is the, uh, the guest, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from people about what they take away from this podcast episode as well.
0: All right, let's listen in.
1: Julie Stern, welcome to the Leaders, Coaching Leaders
2: podcast. Thanks for being here. Definitely. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I think you
1: know that you're one of my favorite people. I mean, ever since I was reading your, your book on conceptual understanding, I started stalking you, right? So I started started reading (laughs) out to you and all that stuff, saying I was a, you know, I was a a big fan. So, um, your work is really amazing. You have a new book out called Learning the Transfers and Mm -hmm. uh, John Hattie wrote the foreword and what is, what is, um, when you write about learning the transfers, what do you mean here? What is, What is learning the transfers? And why is it so important to how we should approach teaching and learning?
2: Yeah, great, great question. What, what, what do we even mean by this, um, learning that transfers? I felt like uh, years ago I had to sort of Define learning transfer everywhere that I went, but it seems like it's getting more into the water. Uh, and people, and people can infer if they've never heard of it before. But it's simply applying learning from one situation to another. Um, and there's a spectrum. I think that's the the big thing that I I try to make sure teachers understand that even standardized tests, most assessments, those are what I would call simple transfer or similar transfer, um, where students are applying their learning to at least somewhat of a different. Like if the question is worded differently, um, then one could would say that this is a bit more than recall. So it's basically anything beyond recall. is transfer. Can students see a new situation and can they apply their learning? Um, and so that's that's what our, our new past, my new passion is all about. Um, of course, conceptual understanding and conceptual organization is what facilitates transfer. Um, but that's, that's where we are in place and time in the course of human history, that learning to remember is not enough. Uh, we need students to be able to see a new situation and apply their learning. Uh, whether or not that situation is very similar to what they've, where they've learned it, or radically different, um, the, the goal remains the same in, in that students can apply their learning to new situations.
1: You know, during COVID, um, everybody talks a lot about COVID learning loss, and I've had mm-hmm. the opportunity to talk to lots of researchers who have said, stop calling it COVID learning loss. Mm-hmm. We've never been through a pandemic. Kids are where they are. We have to figure out where they are and then move on from there. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is, is an even bigger issue um, or at least equally is huge of an issue, is that of we had a lot of students home doing remote learning, and what we found is that they didn't know what to do when they didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So they were sitting alone at their house. They didn't have an adult hovering around them to help them. Um, I even remember watching the Today Show one morning, and this was a topic of the conversation with, a, with one of their commentators, and they were talking about how students are struggling and they don't know what to do at home when they're trying to get through their assignments. And one of the one of the anchors asked, so what should be the first step? Should they hire a tutor if they can? And mm. the commentator said, no, they should contact the teacher right away. And I thought, I don't know if that's necessarily the first <laughs> step. Mm. And I feel like that, and I thought of your work, actually, when I was watching this, because it's the idea that, when students are at home and they don't know what to do at this time during COVID, learning the transfer is actually a really powerful way to be able to focus on that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's about, getting an understanding of where you are, and then trying to figure out the resources on your own and where to go, would that be
2: a part of it? Would- Absolutely. Absolutely. The ultimate goal is, is for student, is student independence. Um, and, and so teaching them explicitly how to attack a problem, how, to, when, when they don't know what to do, knowing um, sort of how to figure out what to do uh, is, is really the goal. And I, you know, in writing the book, Visible Learning for Social Studies with John Hattie, Doug Fisher, and Nancy Fry, looking at that, Triangle of surface, deep, and transfer. Um, we we talk about in the in those books, the Visible Learning Practice Series, how the role of metacognition and the role of independence increases from surface to deep to transfer. Um, and so you're spot on. I think um, there's so many reasons why I don't like the term learning loss because kids are learning something. Uh, whether or not it's what we want them to be learning is is a question. But uh, you know, my I have two kids they were they have learned a. Ton in the last year, um, and including you know things that maybe are not on in the quote unquote standards, but many things that are. For instance, they're doing skip counting; they're five and six. And I told them, "Look, you can." <laughs> while I'm doing my work, I let them binge watch Netflix or something like that. And so I say to them, "Look, every time it auto plays a show, you got to run around the couch twenty times, and it's hysterical. They do it. <laughs> so that you can. I can hear them from my office going one." <laughs> <laughs> running around the couch and so now they're skip counting they're like okay we want to watch five sh- episodes so we need to run a hundred and we need to run a hundred times they i'm just like boom you know they're they can figure it out or like i set limits on their ipad for how long they can watch it and they can they can add they very you know complex 60 minutes is an hour like they're doing this complex they're making equations basically of like how many hours they could watch if they watch it together and it's just it's really really interesting um, to see what they're learning. And so ultimately, yeah, we have to figure out ways for our young people to say, here's my goal. And then how can I almost sort of backwards plan from that to to reach that goal? And one of the things that is a big sort of uh, emphasis of our new book is building a culture of transfer. And so we want students to look at a situation and ask themselves, how does my prior knowledge Apply in this situation. And that's at first hard. Um, and it's hard for teachers. And so, one of the first things we do in our professional learning is training teachers how to do that, I have training teachers to look at a situation and figure out how their prior knowledge might um, unlock this new situation. So all of my workshops, I start with something that that I'm hoping the teachers have never heard of. And I'm like, here's this news story. Here's this video about architecture in Bolivia. Here's something that you've never seen before. How can you use your prior knowledge to access this situation? And they immediately see it's through concepts. Concepts are the, you know, these more abstract ideas. When we look past the surface features of a situation, when we look for these organizing transferable ideas, we can link our prior knowledge to new situations. So first step is making sure teachers can do that and then teaching that explicitly to students.
1: But it sounds like even when you're talking about your two sons, it's about the idea that you, um, you are respecting what it is they want to be able to do too. Mm. So there's a, there's a mutual respect there, right? There's reciprocal learning that's happening. Like they want to do this. So mm. i am going like to have them do this. And I think that's the part that you're figuring out. Like, how can I, in how can I embed the teaching into something that they want to be able to do? And mm-hmm. I think that takes a lot of deep understanding too, to understand that piece. What is it? Because one of the, when I remember I wrote a blog last year, based on surveys that I did of students, and it was, this is what students want us to know about pandemic teaching and learning, posted it on LinkedIn, and I remember some people said, wow, we've read so much about what teachers want to be able to do during the pandemic, but not students, and it became this really interesting conversation about, do we respect what students want to learn? So you're right. When we talk about things like COVID learning loss, is that dependent on what the teacher was supposed to be teaching what Mm. the school values, or does that also depend on maybe what the students might value too at home? And do we value the same thing? And I think that's why I liked your story about Netflix and binge watching and running (laughs) around the couch and all that stuff. Uh, I'm glad I don't live in the floor below you. That's (laughs) that's That's the other thing I kept thinking. When we're looking at, when we're looking at things like conceptual understanding, though, and the whole idea of learning the transfers, um, this is, to me, I started thinking about the idea of the the equity behind it all. Mm. Like, this is not something that hey, Julie Stern's got two kids, and we know she's we, she's you know an expert when it comes to learning the transfers. Um, so it must be all these, these kids who are well-educated and all that stuff, they're the ones who are going to benefit from this. The whole idea of learning the transfers is also this fact that, um, this is something all students can do Mm -hmm. In fact, when we have a deficit mindset and think, oh, can all populations do it? One of the populations that we also have to look at, can they benefit from this? Is that of, you know, students who actually excel at school? You were talking about standardized testing and testing. Many times that's been the mark of achievement for Mm -hmm. for students. But learning to transfer or understanding how to transfer learning isn't necessarily a capability of those students just because they happen to achieve well on a test, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a different it's a different way to set your mind. Does that question make sense when I'm asking it that way?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, we've been, we've been, we're really, really excited about the possibilities for equity. So my co-authors and I, we, we if you think about the idea of concepts or the link between our prior knowledge and new situations, then teachers can open up this whole new world of how to harness students' prior knowledge. Um, and so, you know, for instance, kids who, kids who, maybe live in neighborhoods where there's a lot of, of gang activity and I'm teach. I got to teach them about world war II. So I, okay, that has nothing to do with their lives, like what exactly you know happened in World War II. However, they understand conflict, they understand alliances, they understand allegiance and loyalty to the point of, of violence. Um, you know, they they can they understand those things. And so really thinking through, okay, what is it that I need to teach my students? And then once I do that first step, which is what's at the core of that. So the core of World War II is conflict, allegiance, alliances. Um, Um, And then I can start to understand how can I link those things to students' prior knowledge? Um, so, of course, it's, it's super simple for, for literature teachers. If you're thinking about the story To Kill a Mockingbird, for instance, sometimes, you know, I was some fight with teachers sometimes who are like, I have to teach To Kill a Mockingbird. I'm like, OK, what's at the core of To Kill a Mockingbird? And and students have lived experiences that they can access for that. Um, but of course, it applies for mathematics, like the example I just gave, and science and and the arts. We can think about uh, what our students lived experiences and how can we harness that to teach the content that we want them to understand and so sort of our little three-step model that we're playing with is start with their lived experiences then teach them the concepts in the in the content that you feel you know or the the government the standards tell you you have to teach and then transfer that to real world scenarios and and ultimately they can be whatever the students want to explore as long as the concepts are the through line um, throughout And so when you you asked the question too about, or you mentioned about following students' interests, I remember my, that makes sense, right? And I, I remember my somewhat simplistic understanding of that felt overwhelming, like how in the world, if I've got a, a bunch of kids, if, I, if I'm an elementary teacher, I have like 30 kids in my class, What I think about the interest of all my students? Um, but now my understanding is once I've got the concepts of what I want my students to understand, um, then they can take it to their to their interest and, and figure out when I teach them explicitly how to uh, go about sort of an independence in their learning then they can they can take it it's a, it's a lot less work for me and it's incredible now what i've been able to sort of figure out with my own kids you know for instance my youngest he is is he's only in pre-K. Well, it's not technically in any school right now, let's be honest, but he he should be in pre-kindergarten. Um, And he's he's known his the letter sounds. He's known numbers, counting, adding. He's known a lot of these things for a long time. So I'm not worried about him going to kindergarten. The only thing is his his fine motor skills. He, he this is a kid who was who was speaking in multiple languages in full paragraphs before he could walk. So like motor skills are just not his thing or he's just, he's just late in these things. So I couldn't get him to like, I bought like a Paw Patrol book to get him to trace. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. Well, they both, my kids get into Minecraft, which I'm a little, my husband and I are both a little bit disturbed because like the addiction happens really fast of like how they get into these games. But now he takes blank books and he takes a crayon and he draws an entire story of Minecraft in the in his book, and he writes words. He's. Fine. He just turned five. He, I mean, they're totally misspelled, but he sounds them out and he writes letters and words. And I'm just like, I couldn't get him to do it. But now that I see, you know, he's got something and some passion for it himself, I can't get him to stop. All he wants to is is more blank. He's like, mommy, more blank notebooks. Um, so I can draw my Minecraft stories in the in the notebooks. And so I, I feel like we're really on to something and uh, thinking about how we help teachers. Teachers, harness students' prior knowledge and their lived experiences. Harness their interests and and achieve the things that we all want to achieve.
1: Yeah, I think I said this to you before. I mean, I was a you know, I was retained in elementary school. I was, mm. uh, barely graduated from high school. The whole idea of remembering facts, all of those kind of things, just was never my strong suit. So the reason why I just absolutely fell in love with your book when I was reading the one on conceptual understanding is just that I felt like it spoke to me. I kept thinking, wow, I wish I had this, right? Because conceptually, I I like how things are connected. I, You know, that's something that I think is is very important. What have you, how have you been able to approach this work during a time of COVID? You know, you and I work with a lot of schools around the world. Um, you've got elementary school students that might be hybrid. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've got high school students that might be remote in certain places still. How do you teach this whole idea of learning the transfers in a time when people seemingly will look at remote and say, oh, you can't do it. You've gotta be Mm -hmm. in person Mm -hmm. to be able to do this. But that's not true, is it? How How do you do this work now and have been able to do this work over the past year during our time of COVID?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The first thing that we did last year at this time was you know, convert some of our favorite strategies into digital tools. So that was the very first thing that we did. So on our website at save the you can get Actually, we have a companion website called learningthattransfers.com. Um all of them speak to each other, so you can go to either one of those. But uh, tons of free resources on both of those for digital learning. So, you know, essentially we love sticky notes. We love uh we to get students to write concepts on sticky notes and, and arrange them in some way. So of course you can use Jamboard for that. Um, you can use Google draw, things like that. So the first thing we did was convert sort of it's a lot of our favorite strategies to uh, digital tools. <clears throat> But the other thing that, we, that we've been really having success with, uh, especially in this virtual environment, especially with secondary students, is harnessing their lived experiences because they don't want to be on Zoom, they're over it. They're done with the masks and the distancing and they can't um, do group work like they used to do group work even if they are in person. Um, a lot of those things are more difficult. And so teachers have found um, recently in thinking about, okay, how can I tap into students' lived experiences and connect that to the content. Students want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about um, things in their lives that are, can be related to classroom content. And so another quick example, just because I'm, I'm working with the school um, every week in, for social studies, there, there were Having students look at speaking of World War II, they were thinking about nationalism and fascism. And, and they said, you know, what's at the core of nationalism is pride. So they opened up by saying on like a Pear Deck, you know, when is when is a time that you felt proud and they just said the, the participation skyrocketed from the students because that's an interesting question. They want to share when have they felt proud? Um and so you know, linking that to the concept of nationalism and even fear, they used, they were studying Japanese internment in, in during World War II and why the United States did that. And so it was really cool to see uh the students first talking about fear. You know, why do why do we what is the role of fear in some of these decisions? That that the government has made in the past. And then they had to write these empathy letters um, as if they were Japanese Americans living in these internment camps. And so it was really amazing to see the students sort of taking on the role of these Japanese Americans um, internment, but also empathy for the U.S. government. In these papers, they were like, fear has led the U.S. government to pass this order. Um, you know, it it was so interesting to see these connections that they were making. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that I love to, to ask teachers to do. If you if kids, if you're struggling with participation, ask thinking about students lived experiences is is excellent way to get them to participate. The other thing that I'm playing with, too, is um analogical reasoning and so this is a maybe maybe listeners might not be ready for for this craziness that i'm going but i know you will be for sure is um the idea that if concepts are the connections between our, our prior knowledge and new experiences when we think in analogies when we think in comparison we're always going through concepts um, and one of the, so one of the examples that i love to use again with my kid in the driveway he's he's hula hooping and he says mommy the moon is like the earth's hula hoop because it. Orbits, And I was like, hot dog, that's amazing. But what he's doing is he's thinking, okay, the hula hoop is orbiting around me. The moon orbits around the earth. I'm gonna connect this hula hoop to the moon. Um, and so the other thing we've been playing with is these complex analogies and getting, I share that example because he was four at the time when he shared this with me. Um, and be, to to get us to see that all kids can do this. And so helping our young people think about analogies and thinking about creative materials and how materials i'm planning this collaboration with a couple other people who've been playing with loose parts and materials long a lot longer than i have Um, but we're working to to build out this series of workshops where we we were inspired actually by a tweet someone tweeted uh, the periodic table of elements And they had like phosphorus is green and they had like a green cotton ball or something this is flammable and i think that was the cotton ball um and so they just started making using loose parts to help them remember the elements in the periodic table of elements and so this is when we think about materials for even secondary students and how we can build creativity into conceptual understanding that transfers and have a students think about analogies think about materials think about different ways they can communicate their learning it's still very intellectually rigorous And it's really hands on and fun. Um, And so that's been another fun thing that we've been playing with in this crazy environment. I'll say to students, sometimes I'll go in, I'll do like demo lessons and things like that with students. So I'll say, like, look around your desk or wherever you are, look around the room you're in right now. Can you find something that illustrates the concepts we're talking about? And the kids can find something. So maybe you have some kids who are like, I have no idea what this lady's talking about. So you can sort of model it, you know, and, and you'll inevitably you'll get one kid who turns on their camera and is like, I have this glass of water and that relates to survival. We've been talking about survival of living things and I've got this water that connects to it. Um, and you have kids who turn on their cameras and are like, I want to share. Um, and so it's, it's just, you know, I... Push teachers to think how can kids use the materials that they have at home if they're at home um, or how can they use creative materials in the classroom if they're in the classroom to illustrate their thinking about about the course content. And that's been really, really fun.
1: I, I, two things. Number one, I worry I'm not smart enough to have dinner with your children. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that i'm gonna have to brush up on my studying if i ever get invited uh but number two why do you think people think this is so hard to teach because i feel like people f- i feel like people think this is too hard to teach or so much easier to maybe open a textbook or mm-hmm. hey, i've got to follow the standards or i don't have time to do this mm. why do you think people think this is so hard to do
2: Oh, that's gosh, that's such a good question. I mean, I think people who love learning tend to be people who go into education. And I think, you, you know, teachers are exhausted. And so that's one of the other things I'm really, really focused on is how do I not be yet another voice in in the Twitter sphere, in the, in the podcast area, who's asking teachers to do more. Um, and so I think, I think rightly so there's that element is enormous. I think that public policy, we'd have to start talking about that uh, needs to invest in educators in a, in a much better way. Um, I wish if I could wave a magic one, we would all say, okay, look, let's just give kids more recess and more passion project time. And therefore teachers have more planning time. Like right now we could do that right now. Um, and everybody, would benefit. Um, I think that sort of the the idea that's getting challenged now, and and it's not like this was necessarily terrible, but when I first started in the education field, the the concept of rigor, the word rigor, I love you always talk about the words we use. Do we all agree on the definitions of the words that we use? Um, And so I think rigor meant more content. Um, And and so, especially for social studies teachers, you know, there's been Robert Marzano, uh, Michael Flynn, Larry Ainsworth, they've done the research into how many content standards there are. And, you know, this is getting better, but we're still not where we need to be of the number of content standards that we put on, on teachers' plates to say, you've got to teach this to kids. And so, you know there was an average i remember in in the in the late 90s marzano's research i want to say said that we would have to add some Crazy number of additional instructional hours in order to do justice to the number of standards that are there, and so that's where you got prioritizing standards. And so, anyway, one of my teammates is is still a classroom teacher. One of my co-authors, Trevor Alio, and he says, "Oh my gosh, the number of hours that we spend deconstructing standards, unpacking standards, analyzing standards, he's just like it's incredible amount of hours." And so, I just feel like um, one of the reasons is it's hard to uh, accomplish all the things that we are telling teachers they need to accomplish. And and the, the, one of the things that we say in Tools for Teaching Conceptual Understanding when we're talking about the balance between memorization and deeper thinking is just because you said it out loud to your students, <laughs> doesn't mean they learned it um that that's been like really hard for me even as a consultant right I'm sure for you doing teacher training you can say something exactly in your workshop like please don't take the this visual to mean you have to fill this out everybody repeat after me please don't take this visual to mean you have to fill it out and then teachers are like you'll turn around and you look at a table and teachers are like trying to fill out the visual I'm like I just I just said that um and so we know that just because we say it doesn't mean the 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 learner learned it. However, um, I feel like the number of standards out there sometimes makes teachers nervous about spending too much time on the thinking and things like that. And so, what I say to them is, "Okay, then kids are going to forget, right?" And so, you know, one one of the things that teachers tell me is, "I can't believe." how long my kids retain this information when we teach this way. Um, And so it might feel like an initial investment up front, um, but it pays off that the kids stop forgetting (laughs) what it was that we taught them. And so that's kind of why lately, a long way of answering your question about why do people feel like this is so hard is I've been trying to make it more fun and playful um, and and let teachers see, just try it, just try a concept attainment um, and and see what happens. And really, this is a lot that I learned from you. So it's actually, it's almost embarrassing to hear you say that you're a fan of mine because it was always the other way around for a long time uh, as I was coming into this field. One thing I learned from you for sure is celebrating those small wins um, in building Collective effort efficacy and, and and really making sure that teachers feel like, okay, I was successful at this crazy thing Julie Stern is talking about with transfer. I went into the classroom and I tried a strategy and it worked. Um, and so that's really where I start is just, just try it. So, you know, I'll sort of say, here's concept attainment. Instead of telling the students, this is the definition of a word, or this is what this thing is. That's how we normally would. We'd tell students flip it and see if you can give them examples and non-examples of whatever it is you're trying to teach and ask them what they notice. And so this kindergarten, this instructional coach um, for a school district in Georgia said, oh, Julie, I got to tell you this story. I was working with a kindergarten teacher and she was about to teach, you know, what are the characteristics of mammals? And so we just said, okay, like what would Julie Stern say here? So we put all the storybooks that all the books that we had in the classroom about mammals on one table and all the animals that weren't mammals on another table. And we just asked them, this is pre-COVID when they could all gather around multiple tables and and, and flip through books. What do they notice? And what do you see? The five-year-olds say, you know what we're noticing? These, all of these animals, they have fur they have a baby that comes directly from their body they don't lay eggs like they're just naming all the characteristics of mammals and the, you know of course the teacher and the instructional coach were like this is amazing and versus if I would have told them the characteristics of mammals which one are they gonna is going are they gonna remember longer and which one are they gonna go out into their backyard and see a squirrel and think Mammal. Um, And so that's that's what transfer is, is that when they think about what are the characteristics, they can recognize it in their world. I think it's
1: also one of the things that I think about when you're talking to is the appreciation on the part of school principals to be able to Mm. have these conversations, to be able to focus on this within their faculty meetings, to be able to talk about teachers and be curious about what's going on in the classroom so that teachers then feel supported when they're trying to do the same thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, because when mm-hmm. I hear things about pacing, you know, pacing is one of those words too that can be a pros and cons. Like we understand mm-hmm. there is a certain level of pacing that needs to happen, but sometimes people pace so much that it's kind of like instructional coaches become compliance officers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about having that curiosity and that support, you know, intersecting too with school principals and teachers. Before we before we go, I want to you know you were you were very inspirational to me when because you started creating courses through Thinkific, which I thought was really great. I ended up creating two of my own based on mm-hmm. what I saw you doing. So it's a really great way for people to interact with you and your team and to learn all about this information. So besides buying the book, learning the transfers, and you know for all their million friends. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the ways they can directly interact with you and your team is through this whole idea of Thinkific and the courses you've created. Could you talk a, a couple of minutes about about the courses you just created in the past? I don't know, six months or maybe even less than that
2: yes we we launched our first course in august and it was really just kind of fun and to try out some of our ideas in our book that just published um, before it came out and um, this has grown to a community of over a thousand people um, and probably about seven courses so far we've got um i have an incredible extended team and we all work way too much um, but we've we've developed level one level two and level three level courses so for people people who have never heard of this before, we've got these entry-level courses that are really cheap. One is $15 and the other one is, I think, $50. Um, And those are really just what is learning that transfers. And there's one called Future of Learning. There's another one that's free that's called Goodbye Overwhelm. So back to our point about um, how do we sort of get teachers to a space where they can be in a a learning stance. Um, And so then level two are discipline-specific courses. So there's mathematics learning that transfers, social studies learning that transfers, all these different courses. And then level three, there's a course on assessments. Um, There's a course for leaders, and there'll be some some additional courses uh, that will roll out through the end of this year. So that's also called learning that transfers dot com is where you find that one. However, if you find me anywhere, you can see all of our courses, because that's the that's the way we feed our kids uh, is through these online courses. And so um, you, you anywhere you find me, I'm sure you'll see access to our online courses.
1: Julie Stern, thank you for being on the leaders, coaching leaders podcast. It is always uh, I love talking to you because it's just I. I love that I can ask you a question and I'm just you just, go. you just go. It doesn't matter. It's almost fun sometimes. What if I throw
2: this? Unless Julie is going to go. Where,
1: where Julie is going to go with us. But thank you for being a part of the podcast and the, the work that you do. The The new book is Learning the Transfers. Um, and then check out her Thinkific courses because they're really uh, definitely amazing and can be very, very impactful as well. So thank you for being on the podcast.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Peter. I really appreciate it.
1: So did I hold my own there, Ariel, with, with Julie Stern?
0: I think so. And, and that's hard to do. So well done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's just, she just cracks me up because I love her blend of, uh, <laughs> you know, when she's talking about her two children Mm-hmm. and how she just tells them to run around the couch. Yeah. <laughs> Netflix but also the learning that they're doing at the same place but yeah. but at the beginning of this in the introduction you had mentioned that Julie had out of all the episodes we've done so far closest to the classroom and I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I think that you know depending on who we're speaking to there's going to be a difference in the elevation that they can speak to.
0: Yes. Julie
1: can talk about in the classroom any content area and it's almost like what I what I really enjoy about the conversations is that when she is answering the question, I can see she's already thinking about where to expand that in, into. So not only is she, you know, not only does she is she an expert on learning the transfers and writing about it and teaching about it, but she practices what she preaches, and I appreciate that a, a great deal.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love that. You know, she talks about how learning to teach conceptually is a process and it can be intimidating for people to begin with, but it's so worth it because teaching is a time consuming process anyway, but learning to teach in this way, teaching for transfer is it it ultimately maximizes our thinking and learning. And she talks about how it helps kids remember. And that's what, I mean, when I first read Julie's work, it was like you said, kind of this like aha moment of like, oh my gosh, why isn't everything done this way? It's just, the light bulbs start going off. So I hope that listeners have also had kind of similar light bulbs or that if you're intrigued and want to learn more, you'll go and read Julie's books or listen um, to her podcast. Her podcast is called Conceptually Speaking. And um, I hope that everyone enjoys. If you like this episode, please leave us a review or listen on Apple, Spotify, or, uh, or Google or watch us on YouTube.
1: Yeah. I, uh, before we go, you know, her work actually makes me think that she helps elevate the profession. Yes. You know, that's what I think is, is so great about it. It just elevates the profession. So I hope everybody enjoyed it. And like Ariel said, uh, please make sure you give us a review and uh, let us know what you think. And thank you for listening to leaders, coaching leaders with Julie Stern
0: today. That's right. Thanks Peter. All right, Ariel. See you soon.